Thanks, guys, for this opportunity to preach and share the word. Um, the, the word that's been stirring on my heart is the call of God. And when, where was I when God first called me? What is the call of God, you know? I grew up in church. My parents were in ministry, even when they were running different businesses or doing certain things. They, they always had a church background. I was sitting on the, on the floor where my mother was playing piano. I went on all the youth camps with my dad. Um, I just, I was a church girl. But growing up, when I was 14, my parents decided to plant a church in Pretoria, the capital city of South Africa. And uh, we moved across there. And I, my dad was a surfer boy, so I grew up in, in Durban and and I, I moved across there and kind of like too cool for school, but um, didn't have any friends in the church because it was just my sister and I. And uh, we, we just planted with the four of us. My brother wasn't even on the scene until I'd left school. And we, I grew up and my friends be, my, were my school friends and those became my friends. And so what happens when you don't have any Christian influence, um, I just began to compromise in life, compromise in decisions, made poor choices and... Um, you know, God's grace is amazing. He's with you in all of those seasons. And he's waiting. He's waiting for that time to call. And, uh, you know, then from, from teenage years, I moved into studying fashion design and marketing. And then that's a whole different ball game with clubs and parties and, and fashion and, and all sorts of things. And that, that took me for a few years. And I'd love to say that, you know, I just turned away from one to follow the other. But the truth is, is that church was a part of my life. And so, yes, it's very valuable that I had all of the head knowledge, but it hadn't quite sunk into my heart yet. It hadn't quite become real to me. And so then I felt like there was just this season where I just felt, you know, there's that scripture in Ephesians 1 where it says that you're not living a life worthy of the call. And there was something inside of my heart that I knew that there was something on my life, but I just was, I couldn't see it. I just loved the world too much. I had just become the socialite in the city. And I remember God calling me out into my bedroom and just giving me this hunger to read the word from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. And I remember one of my good friends, who's become a good friend of Dan now, he said to me, where are you? Where are you? I mean, I can't believe that you have pulled away from this scene. I can't believe it. If I think about it now, it's hilarious. But that was a life that was my world. And God was calling me. And when I asked God, what are you doing in me? Why do I feel like, I don't want to be part of that. I actually have to cut it off. Otherwise, I can't do both. I just, I'm not doing it well. I'm too weak. When I had to cut it off, I felt God leading me to the scripture in 1 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So that word sanctify means to set apart. When we sanctify this water bottle, it is being set apart to hold water. You could use it for pens or whatever, but it's not sanctified for that purpose. You know, a pen is sanctified to be written. Eyeglasses are sanctified and set apart to improve your vision. And so human beings are sanctified and set apart for a particular purpose and call. And so what God was doing in me as I was reading the Bible cover to cover and he was taking me through and through mind, body, and soul, he was setting me apart and aligning me with the future and the destiny that God had for me. 
There is a song that Martin Smith wrote. He'll be with us next weekend. We can't wait. One of the, the greatest worship leaders in our generation that's inspired all of the worship music that we sing today, all of the musicians. And he wrote the song, Sanctify, Set Apart. I want to be set apart right to the very heart. And that was the cry of my heart. You know, God's call has gotten me to this point where he has called me to this land. He, called, he gave me a vision of the, the Sheikhside Palace, uh, mosque. At my, in South Africa, I just thought when I was on my knees crying and I saw this white palace, I just thought it was a palace. I didn't know it was a mosque. But when God called me to the UAE and I saw it and I said, God, you called me to this place. God called me and Dan to be married, to be together. God called me and Dan to lead this church. But yet again, I found myself being called of God three weeks ago while Ryan was preaching. The Spirit of God came upon me and he was calling me again, return to me, return to me. And I said, God, I'm in the front row. What do you mean, return to you? I'm in the front row of church. And as he kept saying those words, I knew what he was saying in my heart of hearts. Return to me, that passion that you once had. Return to me. And I had let life and life's disappointments and delays and expectations and betrayals. The God that called me as a, as a teen at 19 was very different now after living life and experiencing life, not thinking that, not expecting life to go the way it was. God was calling me out of that place of disappointment and he was saying there is more, there is more. So where are you today? What is God calling you to now? What is he saying to you? I realized that I was obviously retreating in my heart. I didn't know that. And if you remember, in 2015, I brought a message on do not retreat. It was something that God had spoken into my spirit. We had just moved into this warehouse, and we had fought major challenges and obstacles to get into this place. We didn't know what we were doing. I was saying in the first meeting that moving into this next warehouse feels like a second child, because this first child, we didn't know what we were doing. We were overwhelmed with every cry and every scream. And I was so burnt out, and so um, I suppose I'd become just exhausted, really. And I left, we went to, went to Belito, and as I was having my pity party and asking God to feel very sorry for me for the work that he's called me to do, he spoke straight into my spirit, and he said, do not retreat. And I realized in that moment that retreat is a military word, which means withdraw from battle. Withdraw your troops from battle, and I realized, wow, this is a battle. I've been thinking that I'm on my own, but actually we're in a battle. And if the enemy can discourage you and make you despondent, he's winning because we're retreating. And God didn't give us eyes at the back of our heads to retreat and lose ground. He gave us feet that face forward. He gave us hands to put our hands to the plow. He gave us eyes to see forward. And that is what God is constantly and continuously calling us to lift up our eyes onward, upward, and forward. So where are you? Are you hiding in shame? Are you offended and not in church community? Are you stuck in a religious system, going through the motions? Are you comfortable and playing it safe? Are there areas of your life that are off limits? God, you can have this, you can do this, this, this. 
just don't touch this area of my life. This area is still under my control. I'm not ready to let you have it. I'm not ready for you to see what is hidden in that area of my heart. You know, Jeremiah 1.5, God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Before you were born. So God is not surprised when he sees you in the womb. Oh, wow, there's Skulk. What's Skulk doing there? Oh, wow, there's Daniel. What's Daniel doing there? He gave careful thought and intention and creative design for you. The Bible says that he prepared good works for advance and advance for you to do. And so an architect, Simon will tell you, he doesn't haphazardly say, oh, the bathrooms go there. And as we've given some designs, he's... For the new space, he's thought carefully, how is this going to sound acoustically? How is this going to be as a welcome? What are we going to do? There's strategic planning and intent that the creator God has created before you were born. You are set apart and sanctified for a purpose. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That wasn't God talking directly to Isaiah and saying, Isaiah, will you go for me? He was saying a general blanket prayer. Who, who will go for me? As the call goes out every Friday, the word is preached. Who will go? Who will respond? Who will put up their hands to say, yes, Lord, I want to be, I want to do what you want me to do. And if you look at a picture of a mom, and someone in the first uh, session said this was very helpful for her to understand what a call is, is that if a mom is lying on the couch with three of her kids, and she's like, oh, I've got to do the dishes downstairs. Can someone please do the dishes for me? Two of them pretend they did not hear their mother. (laughs) And one of them, sucking up, one of them says, I'll do it goes down, does the dishes. Now, does the mother love those children any less? She loves them all, but maybe there's a special reward for the person that did the dishes. Maybe there is a little bit of extra hugging and loving and softening of the heart towards that person. Now, If you look at scripture, there are too many to mention about how our obedience brings about reward. I mean, the Bible says, honor your mother and father and you will live a long life. In Job, it says, if they listen and obey God, they will be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives and all their years will be pleasant. So we're looking at a God who rewards obedience, a God that gets pleasure from obedience, but a God that loves all. And it's up to us to decide, do we choose to ignore or do we choose to respond? A call is simple. You look at it and you decide to answer and you give that person your ear for a season. So Jesus may be calling you from one vocation to the next, from one city to the next, out of one relationship into a relationship with him. He may be calling you to leave behind the pleasures of this world for a greater pleasure of higher value and higher eternal uh, uh, value. And we, cannot, we can debate theology and doctrine of what exactly the call of God is. I read 
complicated books this week. I read, I read simple books. I, read, I based it on my own experience. But one thing is for sure, I'm not going to complicate the call of God because the call of God is simple and straightforward. When he calls your heart, you respond. I have a new respect for people who are finishing strong. Those in their 60s, their 70s, their 80s that are still worshiping. I'm not saying they had a perfect life. They've had obstacles. They've had challenges. They've had messy lives. But at the end of it all, they've navigated their way and they're still saying yes to God. They still have a smile on their face. They still have faith in their heart. And when Jesus says, I never understood that. When I come back to earth, and Luke, it says, when I come back to earth, will I still find faith in the earth? Will I still find people who are encouraged, people who are saying yes to God, believe that God can do impossible things? Or am I going to find people who are riddled with fear, riddled with unbelief, riddled with discouragement? There are something called rumble strips. You'll see behind me that there is something like a, like a rumble strip um, where on the highway, on the side of the highway, when you start to feel sleepy, when you start to veer off the road, this rumble strip goes underneath your tires and your whole car vibrates and shakes and says, wake up, wake up, stay on the path. And there are some things that we need to know. How do we know that there are areas of our hearts that are becoming hardened? That there are areas of our hearts that aren't soft towards God. You can have some areas, God, but not all of it. We start to see that hardness of heart happens gradually. It's not one decision. It's a series of decisions, series of disappointments, series of things that keep happening. As the Bible says, hope, in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And so there's so many sick Christians with their hearts that are so sick with delay and despondency and because they've lost sight of the big picture, the eternal plan of God, that the God who, who leads you through will bring you out. And so what are the other things? You know, God will not move in the areas when you, if you don't want him to. That's how amazing our God is. That's how gracious he is. He waits until you're ready. And he starts to knock on the door of your heart and it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. When we start thinking, you know what, uh, it's, I'm gonna sin because it's okay, tomorrow God will forgive me. When we start to think that way, we lose sight of the fact that, that the wages of sin is death. We're veering off to the side, to that rumble strip. That rumble strip is a protection to say, wait a second, when you start to think that way, you know you're on the wrong path because you're gonna go off a cliff. You might think, I'm so, I, I deserve this sin. I deserve to do this because I've had a, a tough week. And God is saying, run to me, don't run from me. The wilderness, the wilderness season explains what it is. You don't know anyone in sight. You don't have any answers. You don't know where you are. There's thorns. There's a desolate place. There's weeds. It's just everything around you. It feels like you're choking. You feel like you can't come up for air. You say, God, I don't know how much longer I can take. 
I, I thought that I was only gonna handle this much and you've still thrown in more. How much more can I take? That is a wilderness season where the Israelites were walking through for 40 years. For 40 years. They couldn't see God provided, but yet they still chose to grumble. The God that they were enslaved, God set them free, brought them through, and was going to take them out to the promised land. That was the destination. The destination was never meant to be the wilderness. But we often think that the destination is the wilderness. We think, are we ever going to get through this and out of this? And God is encouraging us to to thank him, to look. I mean, if we don't know what to think about, thank God you're going to heaven. Thank God that there is a future, that there is a destiny. How do we respond? Do we choose to meditate on how we do not deserve to be in this situation? Do we choose to grumble against leadership or other people? Do we choose to blame others for the problem? Have we lost our desire to go to church, to pray or participate in worship? Are we critical of those around us? Are you giving into fear and negativity, expecting the worst? Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. It's starting to expect the worst because you've gone around the same, oh, don't worry, you know, it's never gonna happen for me. This week, I, we had a situation where there's three people that the church financially supports overseas and uh, we're trying to get money across to them and they've, they blocked Jenny's account. So then Jenny asked me to do it. So I tried to get money across and then they blocked me. And then I now had to try and figure out how I'm supposed to get this money. And I, after 10 minutes in the system of the phone, push one, push two, push three, I eventually get a hold of someone and I just gave him such a lecture. I said, I need you to tell me right now why you've blocked this thing. And then gives me, so I said, this is what's gonna happen. You are gonna tell, you are going to put me on hold for 20 minutes. Then you're gonna put me on a machine. Then you're gonna send me an email and ask me 20 questions. And then this is gonna take my whole week. And he just went, yes, ma'am. So I just, what was happening is I was telling them what I'm expecting and anticipating to happen because I've been in the system for so long. I've been in Dubai admin for so long. And so my little bit of negativity outburst was actually expecting the worst. And so what happens is, is sometimes we can go around the same bush and the same thing and we just eventually expect the worst outcome to happen. And that is putting faith in the wrong kingdom. We need to start opening up our hearts where, where it is hard. Jesus never promised that the storms of life would not come. If we look behind us at 1 Peter 4, verse, uh, sorry, at Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the, whole, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house and fell with a great crash. And so God didn't say he was going to spare Christians from hard times and from the storms of life because you'll see what happened to the house that was built on the sand and the house that was built on the rock. The exact same thing happened. The rain fell, the streams rose, the house was beat against by the wind. The same thing happened, but one was built on sand. One had no foundations. And God is saying, we, we all in the live in a world where there is sin and death. We will all experience pain and trials, but how will we build ourselves up on the foundation of Jesus, our rock? 
We will, this is not our best life. Everyone says, live your best life now. It's not now. Our best life is in heaven. That is our best life. We can live a purpose-driven life. We can live the life that God called us to live. We can live an intentional life. We don't have to live a mediocre life. We can live a missional life. But our best life is before us. James 1, 2 to 4, consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Say perseverance. Perseverance Perseverance is something we are going to live through until we die. Perseverance, it's not going away. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And when Dan and I were going for a walk this week, we were discussing about how 2017 was for us and how hard it was for us and how we can't even explain the the depths of darkness that we walked through. But what we can say is we're different. I don't know why. I don't know what God did in that time, but I can say that I am different. There is a a maturity. There is a depth. there There is areas of my life that... I just thank God that he walked us through and he took us out of darkness. 2 Corinthians, behind us, 4. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. That's what I was saying to God. God, I felt so human last year. I just felt the the depths of emotions, the depths of suffering, the depths of um, all of those things. I just felt so human. And what God is saying is is that God's glory gets, his resurrection life gets displayed through our humanity. So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. We view our slight and short-lived troubles in light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So these short-lived trials and tribulations we see in light of eternity. And God's voice is always positive. It's always encouraging. As he said unto Joshua, do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. And there's times where I say, God, thanks for saying that. Thanks for saying that you're with me. I would like to just know, what do we do in this situation? I feel like I don't know what to do in this situation. He says, I'm with you. But what decision should I make? Should we go with these contractors or should we go to this, or should we get to this lawyer? I am with you. And basically, God is with us. The decisions we make, we are free to make as we follow the peace of God in our hearts. And he is with us. He will bless us. He is for us. And when God calls you, we need to know that love calls you. Judgment doesn't call you. Love calls you. He calls you out of darkness and into light. And that's why we flee. And that's why we run. And that's why we hide. Because of shame. 
We feel like if God calls us, he's gonna tell us everything wrong in our lives. I feel like he's gonna tell us everything that, that's not how God works, that's not how his voice works. We don't need to be afraid when he calls us. We don't need to be afraid that he's just gonna dump things on us and put things on us. We are the ones who cast our cares on him. He is the one that paints a big future. That's, that's been the pattern in my life. I'm stuck, I don't know I'm stuck. God says there's something more, there's something bigger. Respond. Shame is the root of society's brokenness, Brene Brown says. It's the fear of dis- disconnection. Shame is, I'm afraid you're not gonna like me. Guilt says you did something wrong, but shame said you are something wrong. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. There is such a, a sense, you, you just hear about all of these seekers. It's like in vogue to just be called a seeker. I'm just searching for something, you know. You won't find them in, in any place of worship. You just say more drifters than they are seekers. Because those who are truly seeking are seeking to find, to close in on an answer. Realize that their lives are accountable to someone bigger than them. So true seekers will be, and the Bible says that seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. And God is drawing you into relationship. And what is he calling us to? He's first primarily calling us to himself. He's calling us to someone. He's not calling us to something like fatherhood or motherhood or politics or teaching or those kinds of things. He's calling you to himself. He's not calling you somewhere to the outermost parts of Mongolia. He may call you there, but he is calling you first to himself, to his love, because he wants you to be rooted and established in his love. And out of that place, everything else will flow. Out of that place, you will have purpose in the, in the jobs that you choose. We cannot get or understand love from reading the dictionary definition. We cannot understand love by quoting scripture references to one another. You have to experience love. You have to be immersed in love, know the feelings of love. You have to know what it feels to be loved. It's not something that you can just quote intellectually. And this is something that Billam and Sally's little girl, Talia, she came up and I love what the kids' ministry are doing. They encourage the kids to hear from God for themselves. And I was standing here talking to someone and this little girl came and, and stood so politely. It must have been five minutes. I carried on until I realized, oh, hello. And she handed me very sweetly this little scripture that said you are rooted and established in love. And that word, God spoke to that little girl to give that word to me. Because before you do anything, before you feel like God just uses you and and calls you to things, you need to know that you are rooted and established in his unconditional love. Ephesians 3, verse 17, behind me. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you'll be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences 
the great magnitude of this astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding, this extravagant love poured into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. And we can see those people who have not actually sensed God's love due to whatever family upbringing you were brought up in. But God loves you. If we can look behind us of, the, of what God loves us, you are God's glorious inheritance. You are his son or daughter and part of his family. You are the only creature ever made in his image and likeness. The only one to be redeemed by the death of God himself. You are the apple of his eye the hope of his glory and the bride of the bridegroom, God rejoices over you with shouts of joy. No one and nothing can separate you from his love and anyone who messes with you must answer to him. God loves you. Our secondary calling is to something like doctor or a certain vocation, but the secondary calling only matters because the primary calling matters most. And when we get married. We don't, we should not get married for just financial security, for just pleasure, for whatever reason you get married, just to reproduce, just to have children. You forget about the actual person. You get married for the person. You fall in love with the person. And that person gives you purpose. And together, your love, as you continuously winning each other over, Week after week, month after month, decade after decade, you don't give up on one another and just begin to function together. You return to one another's hearts, constantly calling out to one another so that that overflows into your marriage and then you will get all the rewards that marriage brings. And God has called us into community. And in today's day, there's such a weakened sense of community because of modern social media that keeps us away, modern flights, whatever, all the travel that we get to experience. And I love Chris Vallotton's book, Some of Us Find Our Purpose When We Find Our People. And he was saying how he had four different businesses and not once did he have this desire ever to be in ministry, but yet he now leads the school, Bethel School of Supernatural School of Ministry with 2,000 students. And it was only when he met the pastor, only when he met the people, did God unlock and those destined, that destiny that was inside of him that lay dormant came alive in him. And he started to step into what God had for him. And that's what happens when we meet our people. An example of this was Saul. Saul had left home his dad said to him, go and look for donkeys. The donkeys are missing. He goes and looks for a donkey. The next thing you know, he bumps into Samuel, a prophet. Samuel says, you are to be the next king. He said, how can that be? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. But it was when he's looking for donkeys one minute, but he runs into his people and God speaks to him his destiny and his design over his life. There's a picture of some girls in the Second World War. And this is in Le Chambon, I think in France. Small little village. And there was a pastor and his wife that decided to rally the church and rescue the most amount of Jewish children in World War II history. 5,000 children. 
in this 3,000 people town? What would have happened to those young girls? We know, history tells us what it would have happened. But that church had a big calling to do the impossible. And that's what happens if you're running as an individual on your own mission. You You get to miss out on the corporate calling and anointing that God has gathered us together for this time in Dubai to do the impossible, to take over a building, to turn it into a place of worship, to turn it into a place of worship in this region, in this time in history. And he's calling all of you to get together and join us in this corporate gathering. There's a quote from Chris Vallotton behind me that says, everyone must carry a can of gasoline and a pail of water. The goal must be to surround yourself with people who will pour gasoline on the fires of your dreams and drench the flames of your fears with water. And let us be a people that are encouraging one another, putting courage inside of ourselves to one another, pouring gasoline on those dreams, calling you to more. If we can have the band, we gather to be encouraged, envisioned, and to wait on God to renew our strength. Isaiah 40 says, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So now God was calling me to do something, to take more ground, to move forward, to not retreat. And I said, God, but I don't have the natural energy inside of me. I don't have the capability. But then I remembered, God, you said that youths get tired and weary. And you said that we can still run and not faint. I'm fainting. And God said, well, then let me teach you. You're going to have to wait on me. I was like, I don't have time for that. I have too much to do. Waiting takes time. It's like, well, then do it in your own strength. You won't get very far. And I had to, I had to just sit, put on a worship song, and say, God, I'm in your presence. I'll wait on you. And everything that came to my mind that was a burden, everything that was heavy, I just released to him. And we need to learn to do that. Because what we do is we just take the hard knocks in life and we're taught to be strong and we're taught to move on and we're taught to move forward. Yes, but not without releasing it to God. Because what happens is, is we'll just become heavier and heavier. So as we release, God, forgive me for what I said. God, I release this person to you. I just felt lighter and lighter. And as I released, and as I was releasing, I just felt faith rising up again. Faith rising up. There is a war on waiting. And that's something my dad taught me growing up in, in, one, in, a, in a, a family home where my dad was, was big on prayer. I just remember him walking around the swimming pool when the, when the pressures of life got too big. When the weight of responsibility got too big, he didn't disengage and retreat. He walked around that pool and he began to pray and cry out for his family, for his life, for his health, for the church. And we need to be people because what happens when you step into that place of prayer, that communication with God, he aligns your life with his big plans for you. 
He was set apart for a great purpose. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So I just wonder if you could close your eyes and God just wants to minister to some of you today. For some of you, maybe God called you when you were much younger, but you feel like life happened and you've just had the wind knocked out of your sails. You just feel like, I'm just not as passionate as I once was. I feel God just wants to remind you again of your call. And for some of you, it may be your first time even hearing that God even has a plan for me. God orchestrated that you would be here today so that He could tell you the plans and the purposes. First of all, He wants to tell you that He loves you. This is a God that loves. He loves you. For those of you who feel like they've run out of grace, you know what God's calling you to do, but you just don't have the energy. You don't have the divine enablement. Grace is not only undeserved favor, it's the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before you received grace. God wants to pour grace overflowing in rich measure into your life. And then a vision. God wants to give you a vision for your life. If you've never had one, you just thought, wow, I just live from day to day. God, I pray that you would just begin to speak your vision and your plans and your purposes over individuals. I know that you are here. I know that this is a word from you. And I ask that you would just begin to move as the worship plays.